Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to come together. We do lift up those who aren't here and ask you to bless and keep them and protect them. We ask you to just help people that are, are just in paranoia and fear right now. And we ask you to guide and keep them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 55, starting at verse 6. Seek you the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I'm going to stop there because there's quite a bit in that, just those two verses. Um, the first one, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And the idea of seek, inquire, seek after, frequent is one of the words for that. Look for God while he may be found. Now there's an implication here that we may not normally know that there is going to be a time that God will not be found. You know, and there is a time when God stops calling people. If they continue to reject him and reject him and reject him, at the very least, they've hardened their hearts so that they no longer hear the call. And at a certain point, I believe that God will just say, okay, I'm gonna, I'll give you one last call before you die, but I'm going to, you're ignoring me. He pulls back and just says, okay, you've made your choice. That's your choice. You're living with it. And this is something that can be very interesting because of this whole idea that God at some point may not be found. I've got a couple verses I want to go to. Acts 17, 27 says that they should seek the Lord if haply they may feel after him and find him though he be not afar from everyone, for in him we live and move and our being and have our being as certain also as some of your poets, for we are also his offspring. So we look at this and God says, I am found. You can find him. <laughs> you know, 27. Uh, Hosea 10, uh, 12 says basically the same thing, that God calls. And God keeps calling us and waiting for us to see if we're going to respond. We as his children have responded, and he's going to work harder on us than he does the lost world, but he's going to say, seek after him. And we all have probably been there where we just get so dull that we're not hearing. You know, uh, whether we're saved, you know, hopefully not since we've been saved, but even then, you know, we can get so dull that we don't hear God's call. And we kind of push him away and his people away, and go, nope, not going to listen, not going not gonna to hear. And, there, and there's always that danger that God won't be found. And in one side, when, if we keep pushing him away, when we do hit, tro hit the wall, God might just say, like he has to, to the Israelites at times, go call on your God. You've rejected me, you go call on the one that you've been depending on. And that can happen even to us as his children. If we keep pushing them away and, we, and we're depending more on work or our savings accounts or our, or our family and friends and we're not depending on God, when we hit that pit, he might just initially say, go call on your gods. Go call on your gods. Now, he's going to come in and rescue us in the long run, but he's going to make sure that first off, we recognize that 
we haven't been recognizing him. And this is something that is important, and call on him while he is near. Because there will come a time when God will not be near to us. And this is important for us to understand. We need to draw close to God, always. And have him so fill our lives that he is our forefront of our thought. I keep telling us over and over again, we are human beings. Our first thought is always going to be the flesh's thoughts. Always. The closer we walk with God, the more his thoughts will come quickly, almost to the point where if we're really close to him, that his thought may seem to hit us first because we don't even have time to process the flesh's thought. And then we think his thoughts. That's ultimately where we want to be. God, I am drawn so close to you that you and I think almost alike right now. And I wish we could stay there in that point. <laughs> I haven't been able to stay in that point all my life, but it is nice when you're there. And where you're just thinking God's thoughts, the first thing that pops into your mind doesn't seem to be your flesh. And I'm going to guarantee you it was. But because we're so close to God, he says, here, my thought is right on top of that one, and I'm going to overwhelm that one. And our goal is to draw near. Let him change us. And he changes us from the inside out. That's why I love the song, From the Inside Out, because that really is how he changes us. He fills us with his Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit changes us. And, be, and it's, it's part of the baptism. We are placed in the Holy Spirit, we stay there, and we are changed. Very much, and I've said this many times, we are just like the pickle. You put the vegetable in the vinegar, and the vegetable does nothing to become a pickle but stay in the vinegar. All right? That's how we are. If we want to change to be like God, we stay in him. And we will become more like him with every passing day, with every passing trial, because we are staying in him. If I get into this vinegar and say, you know, oops, I don't like this. This is, this is uncomfortable. This is, this is burning. This is burning. This is changing who I am. And I jump out of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to change. But God says, I am inside you. I want to come out. And this is what he said. Seek me while I may be found. And seek, call on me while I am near. And then he gives an example. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and return to God. So in our wickedness, we are to forsake, withdraw, abandon our wickedness. And then we take it to the next step, and he says, the unrighteous man has thoughts. The first part's almost easy. You know, almost. You know, get rid of my wicked ways. Those are the things people see. That's kind of the easy one. That's the one people judge us on, you know. Uh, well, you speak this way, you did this, you acted this way, and you behaved this way. Getting rid of and changing our thoughts is a bigger deal. You know, this is the big deal because not everybody knows what I think. I may be real good at hiding, what, hiding you know, the expressions on my face and not saying what I think. You know, I may be thinking, boy, I can't stand that person over there. <laughs> Make sure I look someplace else. You know? <laughs> you know, but I'm smiling at the person and I talk real nice to them. And nobody knows what my thoughts were. Now, part of the problem is we can't control all of our thoughts. <laughs> You know, on top of everything, then it takes God to change them. But God is saying, change the way you think, not just the way we act. 
And there are people who act good and, and are terribly wicked anyway. So he's covering both sides. Change the way you act and the way you think. And this is important because out of the abundance of our heart, we act, we speak. This is what Jesus said. You want to know what somebody really believes? Spend some time with them and see how they act and what they say when, on those unguarded moments, on those, those just the, the quick thing when something happens. And you go, aha, you know, that's what's in your heart. <laughs> you know, and some people have, you know, and granted, we're going to fall. We're all going to fall because we're human. And, but he says, guard all these says, and says, return to the Lord. Repent. You know, pray and repent. And repentance is just turning away from our sin and turning to God. And we want to be able to re understand repentance is, isn't just turning away from our sin. Because if we turn away from our sin, we'll just turn to another sin. It's turning away from that sin and turning to God. That is what repentance is all about. And he says, turn, return to the Lord, and he will have mercy. God's mercy. Not giving us what we deserve. Mercy. You know, we even have it in, this, in our day and age. You throw yourself on the mercy of the court. I deserve punishment. Please don't punish me. <laughs> God says, I will have mercy on the one that repents, that turns to him, that wants to get rid of his evil ways and evil thoughts. And he says, and I, or says, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And again, this is very interesting because in the Hebrew, it's pardon, pardon, which means abundantly. All right, they, they repeat it. And so he says, and pardon is so interesting because it is to forgive. God abundantly forgives. Why can he forgive? He can forgive because Jesus paid the debt. And we've got to understand, our pardon is not something cheap to God. He could not just say, well, I forgive you, go do your thing, because you know, his righteousness demands justice. And because he has demand for justice, Jesus had to come to this world to live the perfect life and take the complete punishment of God for sin. So that God can then turn to people and say, I forgive you. Without that having been done, we could not have forgiveness. And this is important for us to say, especially in our day, people like, well, God is all about love. You know, and when they say that, basically they're saying that you can do whatever you want as long as you have love. You know, and that is not a true statement. I love my kids well enough to not let them go out to I-40 and play on the street. Or 93, which would even be worse. <laughs> you know, uh, I love my kids enough to not let them go play in the street and get hit by every car that comes along the road. That's love. That's God's love for us. He says, I love you so much that I am not going to let you get go to hell because of this, and because your sin is going to send you to hell, I will die for your sins so that you don't have to go to hell. Because he is righteous. And he says, my righteousness and holiness cannot look on evil. So he had to cover that with Jesus' blood. And Jesus voluntarily went to the cross. 
All through the scriptures, we're told that he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. God said, we're going to create man, they're going to sin, and Jesus said, I'll, I'll die for them. And he took the entire anger of the Father on himself for sin. The one who didn't deserve it, and yet he became sin. Just as the scapegoat did on the Day of Atonement, they, they had two goats that they would take. One was for the sacrifice, one they prayed over and laid all the sins on, they let it out in the wilderness and let it go. That was Jesus. He took all of our sins upon himself so that he could forgive us. You know, who would come up with this plan? God. Nobody else would ever come up with this plan. And so we look at this, and God has totally forgiven sin. Now when man stands before him, they're going to stand in their own righteousness or Jesus' righteousness. This is, this is the hard thing. People go, I hope I'm good enough to go to heaven. You're not. Your righteousness is filthy rags, and when you, stand, when you finally stand at the white throne judgment in your own righteousness, you're going to be judged for all the good things you thought you did in your flesh and be sent to hell because it's not perfect. You know, uh, we will get to stand before God in the righteousness of Christ. Not my own righteousness, but his righteousness that he died for so that we could have. This is the way we get to heaven is through Jesus Christ's sacrifice. And this is what he's saying. Let the wicked turn from their sins. Let them turn from their evil thoughts. Let them repent. And God says, then I will give mercy. I will abundantly pardon. And this is the beautiful thing about God. When we do it his way, it is the best place to be. He gives us a new life, a new heart, a new way of acting, and we get to be changed. And the good news is eternal life does not start when we die. Eternal life starts the moment we say, Jesus, make me yours, and he goes, fine, I'm inside you, and we have eternal life from that point on, and our life changes. We become a new creation, a new being, and have a desire to seek God, a desire to get into the Word, a desire to do the right things once in a while. You know, uh, and hopefully more and more as He gets more and more changing on us. But, you know, we look at this and we go, God, thank you. And the change that he puts in our life. One of the things I tell people is if you are a Christian, there should be something that has changed in your life. What that might be is going to be different for every single person. But I don't know anybody that I can say that I know for sure as a Christian that hasn't had some point in their life that something big changed. Their way of thinking, their desire for the word, their desire for church, their, their temperament. Something big changed in their heart. For me, God took away a temper. For, for my dad, my dad changed overnight to, in many ways. <laughs> but you know, does God make us perfect overnight? No. If we were made perfect overnight, we'd just go straight to heaven. Because there'd be no, no sanctification, no need for sanctification. That's the growing into holiness. All right? Sanctification. So... And we've talked about this before, but many in this room have not heard it, but there's three parts to, to salvation. There's justification when we ask Jesus to come into our heart and he says, you, and God says, you are perfect. That's justification. It's just a legal declaration in heaven that we're perfect. 
There's our sanctification where we are becoming perfect. And we're trying to grow more and more by getting into the word of God and studying and getting to know God. And then when our flesh dies, we will be glorified and God will make us what he said we were from the very beginning. So three parts of salvation. Justification, sanctification, glorification. And all of them are important. And, and part of the problem when people read the scriptures is they get them mixed up on what step they're in. All right? There are people that say, well, when you become a Christian, you become perfect. Well, yes, God declares me perfect, but I know darn well I'm not perfect. <laughs> so they're mixing up the justification and, this, and, the, and or the glorification verses and saying this is what we are in our day-to-day -day walk. And then they struggle with the, walks, with the verses that say we're being made perfect because they're mixing up the three parts of salvation and not keeping them separate. So we just keep this in mind. God declares and says we're perfect, and he treats us as if we're perfect. We are being made perfect with our walk, and then we will become perfect when we die in the flesh and go before the Father. God treats us, though, in our glorification because he already sees us that way. This goes into the idea he's outside of time, so he deals with us as if we're glorified already. He's already said we are. He knows that we will be because he knows the future, and he, the Father, treats us as if we're glorified already, even though we're being sanctified. He treats us as if we are already there because he says we are. And this gets to be the hard part because God sees us totally different than we see ourselves. We listen to the accuser of the brethren, Satan himself, accusing us of all the bad we've done instead of living in the truth that we are sanctified, that we are glorified, that we are sealed, that we are righteous in God's eyes. And we beat ourselves up terribly when we fail. Instead of just saying, God, I confess my sin and go forward. Because God doesn't see us the way we see ourselves. We need to start seeing ourselves the way we are and start seeing others in the church the way God sees them. What a difference the church would be if we started really acting on treating people the way God sees each other and not be sitting there beating each other up for our failures and beating ourselves up for our failures. We just say, God, thank you, I confess, and we let them also have that. And we need to learn to love and forgive. Even before somebody asks for forgiveness, we need to learn to forgive them. <laughs> you know, and that's not easy. But you know, mercy and grace, huh? It's always good. Because God says we're to give grace to one another. We all want grace for our own life. But how many of us have trouble giving grace to other people? And you usually, whenever I tell somebody they need to give grace to somebody, they go, well, they don't deserve it. Well, of course they don't deserve it. If they deserved it, it wouldn't be grace. You know, so we need to learn to be gracious to people and give them that forgiveness that they don't deserve, that they didn't ask for. Because that's what God's going to do for them. He's going to give them grace. And Ultimately, the only one that it matters is they've got to stand and fall before God, not me. doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think about somebody. It doesn't matter what I think about something or somebody. You know, 
And some people go, well, you're a pastor, you, you know, big deal. I'm still a human being. It doesn't matter what I think about anybody or anything, because I'm not God. They stand and fall before God the Father. And Jesus Christ, as he sits on the throne of judgment, because that's the one that matters. Fear the one that can harm the soul, not the ones that can harm the body. So our job is just to love one another. You know, protect, yes, protect our families, you know, and, and the church, but not, you know, but I've, I've said it over and over again. There's very few things that I will fight to death over. One of those is that Jesus is the Son of God, the only Son of God, and he died on the cross and rose from the dead. Okay, three, three points. And that the Bible is absolutely true, the, the written word of God. Outside of those four things, there's not much that I'm willing to die arguing over. I know I, and you all know, I'm very strong in my beliefs. I will discuss and I will defend what I believe with great passion, but, you know, and I love having theological studies with other people that are not even the same theology in, in, the, in the minors. And I'll have good discussions with them. But if they stick a flag in the hill and say, I'm going to die on this flag, and it's not one of the four things I named, <laughs> I back off and say, no, we're not, going to, we're not discussing this. It's not worth that kind of a battle. All right? And so we want to be able to look and say, what is our, our dying points? Now, when I was a young Christian, I fought over a lot of stupid stuff. I knew all the answers, and I was absolutely right. Since then, I found out I don't know much. And what I thought I knew, I still don't know very well. And that there's very few things that are worth dying over. You know, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know anything about things. And so that's a good place to be. Now, I know more than most people know about the Bible, but I still, the more I study it, the more I realize I don't know much about the Bible because it's the Word of God. And it is so much beyond, as we're going to get into this, as we get further into this section, it's so much beyond us. And you know, it is good that God is beyond us. It is good that there are things about God we can't understand, because if we could understand everything about God, he's too small. If I and my little pea brain, human brain, can understand everything there is to know about God, my God is too small. So when I have something I can't understand, praise God. And there's going to be things I'll never understand. And I share this. I do not understand the Trinity. I know the Bible talks about the Trinity. I know, I understand, I can tell you about the Trinity. Do I understand the Trinity? Absolutely not. It is something we cannot even begin to understand how three different individuals can be one. Huh? But an egg has a problem. Once you break an egg, you've got to break it in parts. It's no longer one. God can't be broken into parts. There's lots of pictures of the Trinity all through. You know, every substance is, is in a solid, liquid, or gas. So there's a Trinity there. Everything that we do has a Trinity uh, element to it. The family, father, mother, children. Uh, the government, the government, the, the people that are governed and, and the power to govern them. There's all, there's, there's Trinity everywhere. Which just goes to show that God is a Trinity and he put his essence into everything but we still can't understand it. We are a trinity, body, soul, and spirit. But we can't break ourselves up into three parts like God can and still be one. You know, so the, that's where we can get pictures of a trinity, but we can't 
we can't fully understand it because all of our pictures fall apart. So, you know, I can tell you, I can prove it. I can show you all the verses where the, the Trinity, I can prove the Trinity from the Bible, but I don't understand the Trinity. And usually when I teach on the Trinity, I will say, we're going to learn about the Trinity. I'll give you all the verses. You'll know that the Bible teaches it and we won't understand it any better when we're done. There's many things in the Bible that just don't seem to make sense. You know, that are hard to make sense of because they're beyond our thoughts. They're beyond our thinking. So we need to just say, okay, God, store this in a corner until I get to know more. And sometimes we'll get to know more and we'll understand some things that we didn't understand before. Sometimes we may never understand. You know, God has laws that rule this world, but yet we're under grace. Doesn't mean we go out and break all the laws just because we're under grace. But he goes, God has no problem with it. You know, I kind of think, okay, where, 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 where's the dividing line? And God says, don't have one. Don't have one. You know, so we want to keep in mind, God is above us. So having led that into this, let's read the next section. Verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain comes down and the snow from the heaven and returns not thither, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and, to, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. God's thoughts. These, this word for thought, though, is so much deeper than just thoughts. It's his plans. It's his activities. It's his, his, his ideas. You know, his thoughts are not our thoughts. You know, for all things work together for good, for those who are called according to the purpose of God. You know, all things. And we look at it, our thoughts are, this is terrible, I can't see, you know, this is terrible, God, why would you ever let anything like this to happen? And God says, my plan for you is this. Is this event that you're going through, that you don't understand right now why it's, why it's going to bring forth any good, but this is my plan for you to bring good for you and around you that is going to be of value. Ultimately, all things that happen to us are for good, are good in the reward in heaven. In the physical, not everything we go through is for our good in the physical. Because things happen to us that there is just no way that they're good for us now. And the example I have given is I spent six months on crutches on gout pain, not sleeping, on crutches everywhere I went. There was no reason I can see that that was good for me. Except a year later when somebody said, I watched you be faithful to God while you were in obvious pain and it, and it encouraged me. It wasn't for my good. There's a reward in heaven, but it also helped others around me. How many times have we gone through something that is for others to watch us walk faithfully to God? Huh? Well, we won't know in most cases. In most cases, we won't know until we get to heaven when somebody says, you know, I watched you. I am in heaven because I saw you. You know, I am here because you 
honored God when it didn't make any sense to honor God. We don't know all of what that's going to be about, and we don't know the rewards. When we get to heaven, we're going to have rewards that we know nothing about, and those are the ones we're going to get rewarded for. Because when we know it, we're usually doing it for the wrong reasons. <laughs> we were doing it to be seen. And then God goes, you have your reward. You got, you got the praise of man, you got your reward. When we get to heaven and we stand at the bema seat of Christ, and he says, here's your rewards. He throws all of our works into the fire and says, okay, let's see what gems and, and, stone and silver and gold and gems we have in there. And he pulls it out and says, well done, good and faithful servant. All I want to hear is, good, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't even care about the rewards. I just want to hear when I get to heaven, well done. Well done. And he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, the path. And this is very important for us to understand because we've kind of hinted at this. My path would be to take the high road above the problems and not have to deal with any problems and get to heaven and say, wow, that's so wonderful not to have to deal with any problems. God's plans and ways for us, <laughs> I'm going to walk you through this problem so that you learn to depend upon me, God says. Because ultimately that's what the problems do for us. They drive us to God when we do it the right way. We go, God, I need you, because I can't get through this on my own. Now, if we were s simplistic enough to just believe that we could do it, you know, that we need God, then he wouldn't have to drive us through the problems, because we would just depend on him. But I and most everybody I know is so stubborn that God has to give us problems so that we will turn to him. And so we look at this, and he says, my ways are not your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Okay, why? God sees everything. He knows what we need to do, be put through today to be prepared for tomorrow's problems. He knows what we need to go through today to be ready for the problem a decade from now. He says, I'm going to get you to ready to get there. Have you ever thought when you look at your life, what you're going through and saying, man, if I'd have known all of this was going to come my way, I'm not sure I ever would have started. You know, uh, many people in, in pastoral uh, positions that have gotten big churches and go, never dreamed I'd ever have a church of this size. I never dreamed that I would be speaking to f almost 15,000 people in a month, which is what we had on hits last month, uh, almost 15,000. I would have never dreamed it. I've come to a little tiny church in the middle of nowhere <laughs> that doesn't have anywhere near that kind of population and never thought that I would have something like 400 people a week listening. But God says, I've got plans for you that you don't know anything about. You know, and we look at it and say, God, what is God using us for? People teaching Sunday school classes and teaching Bible studies and raising families and ministering to people they never ever thought they would be doing reaching people they never thought they were doing because God has plans that are higher than anything that we think we can do. And how does he do it? Well, it's pretty painful when we start going through things. You know, we're like, okay, God, I'm just going to be faithful with what you've given me. And God says, good, now, now I'm going to bless you with more. And I'm going to bless you with more and bless you with more. As long as we stay faithful, he'll keep blessing. Now, with the blessings come pain. From two different sources, Satan doesn't like us to, to be serving God. 
The more we serve God, the more he's going to attack. But the more God comes to our defense at the same time when we, when we uh, trust in him. But and I've said it over and over. When we go forward as a church, Satan just doesn't say, oh, well, the, God's church is moving. I'm going to just withdraw. He may withdraw for a moment, and then he's going to come back in a full force and try, and he does it in our lives. When we become a Christian, Satan is not very happy, and he'll try everything to get a, that new believer to stop being a believer. Then, if you, all you do is you stay and you go to church and sit in the pew, he says, okay, well, I lost them, but they're not doing anything, and he'll leave you alone. But go start talking to people about Jesus. Go start, you know, go start teaching a Bible study or a Sunday school class or witness to people. And all of a sudden, you go, uh-uh, this isn't going to happen. And he comes back in with a vengeance again. You know, because he doesn't want us doing those kind of things. So he's, gonna, he's going to attack. Our good news is, if we're hiding in Christ, all he gets to do is pound on Jesus. And Jesus has already beat him. So we are in Christ. This is the biggest thing for us is to know we are in Christ. The time we get in trouble is if we crawl outside of Christ and try to take on the enemy on our own. Uh, I, I, can, I can win. It, it's only a light breeze out there as the as 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 typhoon uh, hits us you know, when we step out of, the, out, of the, out, of, out of Jesus. We need to stay hidden and surrendered in Christ. When we are that way, when our eyes are focused on Jesus, life is easy. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the stormy waves until he looked at the waves. When his eyes were on Jesus and he was walking on the water, he was fine. And they started looking at the wind and the waves, and they started looking at the wind and the waves, and he probably started thinking, I'm, you know, I'm, I, what, is all this, what, is, what is all this storm? I shouldn't be out on this storm. By the way, what am I walking on the water for? I can't walk on water. And immediately he started sinking. How many times have we done that in the midst of our storm? We're walking through the storm with no problem whatsoever. The really good news is when you walk all the way through the storm and you look back and go, wow, a lot happened in my life over this last month and I didn't even recognize it. Unfortunately, many times we kind of start looking around us before we're through the storm and get a little nervous and step outside of God. When we're in God, everything is going to be good. Doesn't mean our life is perfect. Doesn't mean that it's without problems, but when our eyes are focused on him, he walks us through the storm. And the storm beats on him. And he's pretty good at not having the storm beat him up. Like, never lost. (laughs) He's never lost a battle. And never will lose a battle. And so we need to just hide in him and let him be our champion. When Satan knocks on the door, we need to send Jesus to answer the door and quit listening to Satan's accusations like we tend to do. Well, you know, you're just a terrible person. You're right, I am. Here, talk to Jesus instead. (laughs) Or just remind Satan, you know, know what? You're right, I'm a terrible person, but Jesus has clothed me in his righteousness and he beat you already. I'm going to heaven, you're going to hell. But it's better just to let Jesus go to the door. Uh, Jesus, I think it's for you. The door's for you. Not, uh, you're already, the only one I want is, you, is already inside with me, so you go, you go, you go answer the door. Much, much better way to do. Stay focused on him. 
And then, as if he wasn't enough, he says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. All right? So in case we didn't understand that his thoughts aren't our thoughts, he says, Now, my thoughts are way up in the heaven. Your thoughts are way down here. He's making a point of how different he thinks. And we really need to grab hold of that. You know, when we look at our sin and our righteousness, and we need to really understand that compared to God, we are nothing. We are nothing. The best person in the world that's ever lived, whoever that might be, and the worst person that's ever lived on this world, whoever that might be, compared to God, are nothing, and they're both, we're both at the far extreme, almost next to each other compared to God. Not that, they're, not that we're equal, but God says, you guys aren't even close. You're not even close to what I desire. You know, Jesus covered the chasm with the cross between man and God. Without that cross and crossing over that through the cross, we cannot come to God. And we've got to understand, no matter how good I am, I can't deserve God. And however bad I am, doesn't mean I deserve hell any more than the person who can't, who can't be good enough. Without Christ, nothing pleases God. And both are going to hell. Hell is going to be full of people that are good by human standards. And the good news for us is heaven is going to be filled with people that are bad by human standards. Because all of us are bad. We're bad by God's standards. Because he's going to say, you're forgiven. I have forgiven you. And we've, we've said this many times. There's two things that will surprise us when we get to heaven. Those who, all the people that are there and all the people that aren't there. But that's going to be the same in hell. There's going to be a surprise in hell. All the people who aren't there and all the people that are there. They're going to look around and say, well, you went to church every single Sunday and Sunday night and Wednesday night. You gave to the poor. You did all these nice things. What are you doing down here? Well, I didn't know Jesus. You know, and they're going to be sitting right next to the person that was a mass murderer because sin is sin. And God says you must be completely righteous to enter into heaven. And this is his thoughts. Higher. <laughs> Higher, higher, higher. And the funny thing is, the more we get to know God's word, the more we get to know God, the more we start to realize how sinful we are. You know, okay, God, I got, rid of, I got rid of all my really bad habits. And God says, okay, good. Let me show you some more habits to get rid of. Okay, God, I got rid of those ones. Okay, let me show you some more things to get rid of. He shines the light deeper and deeper into our heart. And we start to really realize what the scripture says, that we are deceitfully wicked above all things, who can know our heart? God just keeps shining a light deeper into our heart and saying, I know you thought you did pretty good when you got rid of your drugs and your alcohol. I thought you thought you did pretty good when you got rid of your, your, your most, most of your lust. I thought you, you, you thought you were doing really good when you cleaned up your language. Now let's really get down there and we're going to show you that you don't even think right. You, don't, you, may, not, you may be acting right, but you're not thinking right. I had a discussion recently with somebody, you know, and and we were discussing, and, and, and he was talking about, uh, I started talking, you know, how bad I feel sometimes when I want to do something wrong. And he's going, you feel bad because you want to. I feel bad because I, I barely stopped myself from acting wrong. I'm going, well, 
that's where we're at, that's where we're at different. When we start growing in God, we get to that place where we start more and more being concerned about the thoughts that don't actually come to fruition than stopping the act. And then 10 years, 20 years from now, if I'm still alive, there'll be some other deeper thought that I'm going down there. God, I'm not loving enough. You know, uh, I love a lot of people, but I still have trouble. And we'll always have things that God will show us as he brightens the light. And the way I've talked about that is, if you're in a room with a candle in there, the room will look very clean. <laughs> It'll look very clean. At my table, I've cleaned that table real well where the light's at. You put a 20-watt bulb in there, and it's like, oh, the room's looking a little dirtier. I get to clean a little more. You, you put a 100-watt bulb in, that, in, that, in there, and all of a sudden, things are really looking dingy. You put a 10,000 candlelight bulb, you know, spotlight on it, and it's like, whoa, get that out of here. You know, you're seeing the dust in the air at that level. Okay, that's the way God is with us. When we're first saved, he just puts a little candle. Okay, clean up, clean up around the candle. Oh, you got the candle? We'll put a 10-watt bulb in there. All right, clean up around. You know, eventually, he puts the entire spotlight on us. You know, not in this lifetime, probably. <laughs> you know, but that's when you start really realizing, I am nothing. And the more we walk with God, the more we realize that we are nothing, and we can't be judging anybody because we're nothing. You know, and as we get closer to closer to God, the more we realize that I am deceitfully wicked and, and you know, those people at least, you know, are, are, don't have a problem. And the more we get to know God, it should generate us being more loving and kind to others. Now, when we get self-righteous, we're not going the right way. <laughs> but when God shows us our sin, it should generate us being more loving and kind to other people. And that's what he's looking for. Us to be very loving, very kind. Doesn't mean we say, okay, your sin's okay. That's not what he's saying. But your sin's wrong, but I still love you. This is something that we as Christians can do. We can love the sinner and hate the sin. Because we separate the two, two entities. The world does not separate the entities. You are what you do. You are a thief. You are a murderer. You are, you know an adulterer or a fornicator or, or homosexual. They don't separate the two because they don't see them as separate actions. They cannot, when we say we love the sinner and hate the sin, they, the world does not understand that statement. Most Christians don't understand that statement because God says the two are separate. The person is not what they do. They are a sinner, but that could be any sin that makes them a sinner. But we can separate the sin and say, okay, we're going to cast away the sin and I'm going to love the person. And that comes from very loving, you're doing bad things, but I still love you. God still loves you even though you are sinning. And this is where people get changed. I'm, in the years that I've been working with people, law and rules do not change people. All it does is make them more rebellious. And I don't know how many of you are like me, but as soon as I'm told I can't do something, I want to do it. I'm a loner. I like to stay home. But I'm getting very irritated with the coronavirus issues, and they say, you have to stay home. And I'm rebellious and don't want to do it. 
Luckily, I have two essential jobs, so I don't have to stay home at either job. But the moment I'm told you can't, I can't do something is immediately when I want to do it. That is what law does. Grace changes people's hearts. You are doing wrong, but God still loves you, and I am going to help you as much as I can, changes lives. And we then start living in liberty, which is the doing what we should, not what we must. All right? And liberty does not mean that I can go out and do everything. It just means, yes, I can, but, I'm, but true liberty means that I am going to still act the way I'm supposed to because I represent God. Oh, I don't have the rules to, be, you know, to, to hold me down, but I'm, God wants me to be representing him. When, I don't know if the other military does, but I, ran, I, I was around the Navy. The guys would go on liberty. They would leave the ship. They were free to do what they wanted as long as they didn't dishonor the uniform. They could do whatever they wanted during that time, but they, couldn't, they weren't to dishonor the uniform. You know, that's what liberty is. We can do whatever we want, but we're not to dishonor God. It's a pretty powerful thought when we think about it. We're free, but we're free within bounds. And God says, here's my bounds. Don't bring shame to my name, but you can do whatever you want. And this is the idea of all of this. You know, he then says, as the rain comes down and the snow from the heavens return, not thither, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish that which I please and shall prosper in the thing whereunto I have said it. God says he's going to send his word and it's going to accomplish his plan. This is the good news that we have. God's word is not return void. I've had people go, well, how do you witness to somebody that's a, that's a Muslim? Well, I tell them the gospel. You know, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God, the wages of sin is death, but God commended his love to the Lord to say, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He that confesses the Lord with his mouth shall be saved. Well, they don't believe the word of God. Who cares? How am I going to witness? I'm going to give them the Bible verses. How am I going to share the gospel? I'm going to give them the Bible verses. How am I going to tell somebody that something is a sin? I'm going to give them the Bible verses. <laughs> and they go, well, they don't believe the Bible. It doesn't matter. It's God's word. If they don't believe it, that's not my problem that they don't believe it. It's still the truth. Truth is truth whether they believe it or not. We give them the truth and eventually it'll work on their heart. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard people give the testimony, you know, that, you know, I talked with this crazy, nutty Christian who gave me all these verses that I didn't believe, and in the middle of the night, the Holy Spirit wakes them up and says, what if they're, what if they're true? What if they told you the truth? And starts hounding on them. And those verses compounding back on their heads. Our job is just to give God's word out. Simple and truthfully give his word out. Not legalistically, not harshly, but in love. You know, we can tell, you know, we can tell somebody, you know, I really am sad. You're, you're sinning and you're going to go to hell because of your sin. In a loving attitude. We could use to say, you're sinning and you're going to hell. <laughs> you know, 
That way is not going to win a whole lot of people. <laughs> but if you love them and they know that you care about them, and there's tears in your eyes when, you know, when you're telling them they're headed to hell, that's going to have more impact. Yelling on the street corner, you're going to hell, is not going to win a whole lot of people. You know, it's definitely not going to reach our family because usually new Christians make that mistake. They love their family so much, they just got saved, and they go immediately and say, you're going to hell, you've got to accept Jesus. And your, your family looks at you like, uh, you've gone over the edge. <laughs> you know, but yeah, if, if they even talk to you, yes. <laughs> but you know, we need to be careful to give the word in love. And I understand the new Christian. I understand the new Christian. I was that new Christian, you know, hard. You know, because it, it's so important. You know, your eternal destiny is in, at stake. And sometimes maybe we get too easy later on as we walk with God. You know, we have to find that balance between being too gentle and too, too easy going because they're going to hell. You know, and too hard. And, and harsh on them. There's got to be that area that says, this is serious. This is serious. Now, that doesn't mean every time you meet your unsafe family member, you hammer on them. <laughs> but they do have to have, you do have to care enough about them to give them the gospel. When they've made it clear they don't want to, and, they, and you know that they know the gospel, leave it to God. But every one of us needs to have been able to say, I have talked with my family members about God. I can't think of any of my family members that I have not talked to God, not talked to them about God. Many of them aren't saved. But I've talked to them. They know the gospel. They've heard the gospel. I am free of their blood because whether they accept or not, they've heard the gospel. And I don't want to hammer them every single time I talk to them. You know, because if you do that, then they don't want to talk to you anymore <laughs> at all. And then you'll never have the chance to to talk to them. So we need to learn gentleness. Gentleness and kindness. But God says, my words go out and they produce the crop. Just as the rain comes out and produces a crop, God's word goes out and it produces souls to him. And it does not return void. And this is the big, important, big thing. When you're witnessing somebody, use the scriptures. You know, use your own testimony as well. You know, this is what God did for me because I can't argue with that. But make sure you get in there that we're all sinners. We deserve punishment and Jesus died for us. If you can't remember the Romans road, just use John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a powerful verse because it says God loves you. And that is also a powerful thing. We need to tell people God loves you. you know, the lost world hates to hear it. Really does, but it's, a, but it's a really good thing to tell you. God loves you. Well, you don't know what I've done. It does not matter. God loves you. God loves the world. Are you part of the world? Yes, God loves you. you know, so we, we do these things, and, we, and God will bring in the harvest. He will bring in his purpose. And we don't know all of what his purpose is. He knows who's going to come to heaven and who's going to go to hell. He knew it before they were born because he knows the beginning from the end. He knows the ones that are going to reject him. 
Our job is just to share the gospel with everybody. Because we don't know who's going to accept and reject. Some of the most amazing things is when you go up to somebody and you're absolutely sure that they're going to be so mean and nasty, they're going to beat you up for telling, telling the gospel and they break down in tears and accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. And you were sure that they were going to beat you up when you said Jesus God loves you. And then you go to somebody, they're really nice and kind, and you think this person, this person is just going to melt to the gospel, and they attack you. <laughs> you know, we never know who's going to respond, who's not going to respond. God's word is everlasting. This is the beauty that's out there. He says, it will not fail. Jesus is the word. God's word is himself. It is everlasting. It's not going to change. So the best thing we can spend our time on this mortal, mortal world is to study God's word and get ready for eternity. I really believe we're going to be studying God's word for eternity. Because God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We will never learn all about him in all of eternity. And if somehow we somehow manage to understand all there is to know about God, he'll just create new stuff for us to learn. <laughs> and we're not going to get there anyway, but just if, if somehow we did, he would just create more. Because we will never be God. This is something we've got to understand. Because I hear people, well, when we get to heaven, we'll know everything. No. That would make us God, and we're not God. We will be learning for all of eternity, I believe. We will be learning more about God in intimacy for eternity. Just as when a good marriage gets to know each other better and better with each passing year, we will be in that marriage relationship with God, Jesus, for eternity, getting to know him and become more like him and more one with him for all of eternity. But never becoming him. Because we can't. He's always, always, always going to be greater than we are. Huh? Well, it's a great thing. I'd hate to think that I would get so good that it would be like him and become God. That's, that means that God was not God in the first place. So, all right, verse 12. For you shall go out with joy and lead forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that it shall not be cut off. We shall go out with joy. One of the greatest things I have in my salvation is joy. Deep, internal joy. God does not tell us to be happy. Happy is in relationship to what's going on. There are times when I'm happy. There are times when I'm sad. There's times when I'm confused. But underneath all of that is the joy of the Lord. Because the joy is the constant. I can just trust God and have confidence in God. Even when I feel sad, even when I feel confused, I can have joy. Joy is my underlying part of happiness. Because happiness is, okay, a bunch of good things have happened. I'm happy. The question is, will I be happy when bad things happen? Well, hopefully I'm joyful. 
if I really trust in God, I can actually be happy no matter what because I can look to Romans 8.28 and say, okay, I don't know why God, but something good is going to happen from this, so I'm going to be happy about this. I'm going to be joyful about this. And that's the real question. When things seem to go wrong in our life, do we stay focused on God and stay in the joy of the Lord? Or do we grumble and gripe and complain like the world? This is the big difference between Christians and non-Christians. Because if we're absolutely sure of his sovereignty, absolutely sure of his promise that all things work together for good, when everything seems to be going wrong, and don't, I, use, I try always to use the word seems. When everything seems to be going wrong, I can say, God, I may not understand this. I don't know how you're going to work it out for good, but I have confidence that you're still in control and you're going to work it out for good. That confidence keeps us secure in the hard times. It takes practice. It takes a lot of work. But you know when you get there, where it's your usual thought rather than the unusual thought, it's worth it. I'm not there completely yet. I tend to, I tend to go quickly to it. But there's still times when I go, God, I just don't understand. <laughs> but my answer usually becomes very quickly, but I trust. I don't understand what's going on, but I trust. I trust Romans 8.28. And God, you haven't lost control yet. You've never lost a battle yet. You're still sovereign. So I can trust in Romans 8, 28, because you're not lied. Never once has he lied. Never once will he lie. And so I can grab hold of that and say, God, here's, you promised. Don't understand it, but you promised. God, I'm Job sitting in the middle of this field, you know, scratching, my, scratching the sores on my body, and I've lost everything out there. But you've promised that, it's for, that everything works together for good, so I'm going to hold on to it. I haven't gone quite that far yet, but, but you know, hopefully if and when God wants me to go that far, I'll be able to hold on to it. If he takes away our health and we're in the hospital someplace, do we hold on to the, all things work together for good and we witness to the, to the workers around us? You know, when things seem to be going, breaking down and, and, and crashing around us, do we hold on to it? That's when the trials come. And the trials come just for that purpose. Do we trust in God or are we going to fall apart? And I've said over and over, remember, the trials are directly related to where you are with God in the particular area that he's trying you at. So if you are really advanced in some area, God's going to say, okay, you need an advanced trial. You know, you, you know you, you're, you're on a doctorate level. We're going to give you the Job doctorate test. You're going to lose everything. If you're a new Christian, doesn't mean the test is any easier for you. It just means from somebody who's been with God for a long time, they're looking, boy, that was an easy test. It wasn't easy when you had it you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. You know, those tests were hard on you too. So don't be, we can't judge each other for faith or lack of faith because it's all God. It's all God and it's him testing us for where we're at. And it says that it is for an everlasting sign. Everlasting. And it shall not be cut off. His word, his growth. You know, this is the good news for us. When God gives us our rewards in heaven, it is 
Him rewarding us for letting Him do the work in us. You know, you know, the kind of interesting thing is the world has this idea that they want to be rewarded for doing nothing. But you know, unfortunately, that is God's plan. You surrender, don't do anything, and I will let me work through you, and I will reward you for what you've done. So what Satan warps is what God has in store for us. Let me work through you, and then when we throw all this stuff in the oven, your works disappear, whether they were good or bad. Wood, hay, and stubble, and we've told you, you know, stubble is totally worthless. Hay has some use. Wood is pretty substantial. You know, there may be times I teach, and I'm teaching wood. You all are getting gold and silver out of it, possibly. And I get to heaven and throws in and says, well, half of your lessons burn up. Good lessons. Some of you people got good things out of it, but you burns up because you did it in your own strength. You know, and other things like, well, God, I was just being myself. I can't tell you how many times somebody has come up to me and said, you just really blessed me when you did such and such. And I'm going, what did I do? I was just, you know, I didn't do anything, did I? You know, uh, I had one person one time tell me, I have learned so much about God in this five-minute conversation than I have learned in, in, in uh, all the classes that I've gone. I'm going, what did, what, what did I, you know, were we even talking about the Bible or God during this period? <laughs> you know, those are going to be the things when we get to heaven that God's going to say, here's your, here's your ruby, here's your, here's your gold, here's your, here's your nugget of, of uh, silver. All the things that we have no idea that we have touched somebody's lives. Now, as we get to work with God and move with God, that gets us into the danger area because now we're starting to be moving forward. And I share with a lot of pastors, how much of the thing, a you know, group of pastors, go, how much of what we do will burn up when we go there because we did it because we had to? Every Sunday morning, Wednesday night, and Thursday night, I'm expected to teach something. That's what I'm paid to do. Now, I enjoy it. I love doing it. And a lot of what I teach is going to be rewarded by God as well. But I can tell you there's been times when I've come in and I've just taught because I'm expected to give something. Now, my knowledge and study of the Word allows me to give things good or bad. But you know, when we get done, I usually know pretty closely whether I've been talking for God or talking myself. And I'm a good teacher, so I know that I can teach without, without doing all this, but I like it better when God's the one that's doing it. And I know the difference. And I'm sure everybody else knows the difference. Because <laughs> I know there's times when I just teach and it's not, it's not there. But you know, our goal is to always walk in God. Let him bless let him grow. Because there's nothing I can say that's going to, to help people. It's God's word that helps people. It's him reaching out and touching lives that's going to help people. It's his word that's going to bring people to Christ. It's his word that's going to help out in all, all of their life. Yes, I've got a lot of things and I can help out people. And I can lay the foundation for people. But it's his word that's going to be what gets them through. Because I can't argue anybody into the kingdom. I can't argue any, anybody into belief. Because if I could argue into somebody else that's smarter than me, that's going to argue you out. You know, just going to happen. Now, I can answer questions. I can answer concerns. 
But I'm not looking to argue anybody into it. It's like, here's the answers. If you want to believe them, believe them. If you don't want to believe them, then when you stand before God, you can explain why you didn't want to believe his answers. Doesn't matter. My job is really simple as a pastor. I get to teach everybody, and you guys get to decide what you're going to do with it. <laughs> My job is easy. You know, I'm not responsible for anybody's life because I have enough trouble controlling my own life. You know, half the time I'm preaching as much to myself as I am to anybody else. Because usually it's things that I'm going through that hit me the hardest, and then you guys get the benefit of, you know, of knowing and getting what I've been teaching, what I've been teaching myself. And that's how we do it, everything. We just share what God is teaching us, and through the Word, and raise people up and teach them how to stand with God and then they go forward from there. Ultimately the goal is, and my goal will be that to see everybody that I'm teaching do better than me. You know, get, get, they take that. But it's true for my own kids. My kids as they're going out into other places are coming back to me and saying, I didn't know that we had learned so much. And they're starting at where they've learned and growing from there. And it's fun. I can't wait to see where my grandson will get to. Because my grandson's going to have grandpa talking to him as much as possible about the Bible. He's going to have dad talking to him about the Bible. You know, I've had two times with my grandson, and I get to, I've done a lot of singing Bible songs to him. And he's, a, he's just a kindergarten, you know, little infant, you know, not, not even knowing what was going on. And I'm singing to him, you know, telling him that he needs to know Jesus. You know. Does he, is he cognizant of any of that? Probably not. But I'm speaking the word into him. Into him and over him. I expect him to be able to be a good Christian. He's got the heritage now. He's, he'll be the fourth generation of Wellses to follow God when he makes his decision. Because there was a big change when I got saved and then my dad got saved. Then my kids... I'm looking forward to the grandkids. For my new grandkids that are older, we immediately got them into things that would be godly. Godly influences into their life. So we want to bring God into their lives. Our goal is to do that into the people's lives that we're around. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, help us to live for you. Help us to show grace and love to all the people. Help us to really understand your thoughts and in so doing become more like you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? 
pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.